you know, I, I want to tell you where this title came from. We have uh, Saturday night prayer here at the church, and um, one of the other staff members and I uh, were talking in the lobby before prayer started, and prayer starts every Saturday at 8. And we were in the lobby around 7.45, just kind of talking, and uh, I looked at my watch real fast, and we were in the middle of a, a conversation that we both were enjoying, and out of my mouth, without me really even thinking about it, I said, hey, I've got an appointment at 8 o'clock. And uh, he started laughing because he knew uh, that I was going to prayer. But in my mind, it was almost like it just shifted uh, and began to look at my time with God completely different. Um, it's an appointment. And if I had an appointment with any one of you, uh, there's a few characteristics that would go along with it. Number one is I would do everything in my power to be on time. I love being the first one at a restaurant. Uh, if I'm meeting you at a restaurant or if we're having coffee together, I always want to be the first one there. In fact, I had lunch with Isaiah a couple weeks ago and he got there before me. We were both early, but I was upset that he got there before me. And, uh, you know, so I w started thinking to look at my time with God the same way I look at my time with you guys. That I need to treat it as, it's, as an appointment that doesn't get canceled, it doesn't get relocated, and there's certain benefits that come along with that that are far greater than what we can understand. And when we get to heaven, I think one of the top three regrets we're going to have, there's not going to be a lot of them because the Bible says that there are no tears in heaven, so it's not like we're going to be spending eternity being regretful. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. But I think when we realize that we had such a great opportunity before us while we were here on earth and all we had to do was to build our life around communicating with God, I think we're just going to say, can I just kick myself in heaven? I know it's illegal to kick each other in heaven. Right? I don't see that happening. But can I kick myself in heaven. Uh, so let's just talk about the appointment with God and all the things that happen in parallel in the exact same time. Uh, as we're talking with God, there's things happening in parallel that are really exciting. So let's dive right into it and uh, we'll start reading. I'm going to read uh, 11 verses to you. I'm going to read out uh, the New Living Translation. And uh, let me read to you. It reads like this in verse 1, chapter 3 of Acts. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Everybody say 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock. I'm going to circle back around to that in a minute. As they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was, was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. 
the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding, was holding tightly to Peter and John. So uh, I'm going to give you towards uh, the back half of this message three points. Uh, that I believe are really going to encourage you. You're going to want to sink your teeth in, into it uh, throughout the week. But let me just kind of unpack uh, this passage a little bit. Let me just kind of go through it uh, in a sequential order. Here we have Peter and John going to the temple at 3 o'clock. Now when I read that first verse right off the bat I've got this pad of paper and I like to write just the first thought that comes to my mind and I'm thinking three o'clock in the afternoon they're going to pray now I don't know what your schedule is like but for me three o'clock in the afternoon doesn't work it just doesn't work now, raise your hand in this room if you say 3 o'clock in the afternoon is actually a very, very convenient time for me to put my day on pause and pray. Just raise your hand right where you're at. Okay, one, two, three, maybe a half a dozen people in the room just raise their hand. And that's awesome. But for the other 94% of us, it doesn't work. Now, I get the idea that Peter and John weren't the only ones going to the temple at 3 o'clock. The reason why I say that is in Acts chapter 2, they went to the temple once a day to pray, and then they went to the temple again in the evening, and then they also broke bread with each other in each other's homes. These were practices. And so what I gather is, is that they're not trying to get, this is so huge. They're not taking their appointment with God and finding an opportunity in their day for that appointment. They're taking the appointment with God and sticking it in their day and then building the rest of the day around it. Does that make sense? So 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I don't care if it was 2,000 years ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, or yesterday. 3 o'clock in the afternoon is still 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's never been a convenient time for people. That's when people work. Sun's up, we work. Sun's down, we sleep. It's the same rules. And so they build it around. Now here's something interesting. They're walking to the temple. Now as they're going to the temple, why are they going to the temple? They're going to the temple because they're going to go pray. They're going to go seek God. 
Now, in the process, on their way to the temple, there's this opportunity for something miraculous to happen. Now, I just want to just say that this moment in the story spoke to me most. Because all of us would love to see miraculous moments happen far more often than what they do. Are you with me? Are you with me? There we go. I know it's Wednesday night and you've worked hard. I'll do most of the work, but just help me every now and again. Just nod at me, smile, or breathe. One of those. Any one of those will work. Just kind of, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So we'd all like that. And so I, I look at how did this whole moment happen? How did it happen? It happened as they were pursuing, as they were on their way to go pray. And just on the inside of me, it just kind of dawned on me that miraculous things happen when we're pursuing God. When you're pursuing God, when we're in route to God, miraculous things happen. Now, very often, um, you might have the tendency, like I do, to think to ourselves, where is miraculous moments? And it doesn't always have to be a person who's lame all of a sudden standing up. For some of us, the biggest miracle we could get is to get a raise. That would be a miracle because our boss needs a touch of God to realize how good we are because clearly he doesn't, right? Are you with me? Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> we, we need a miracle. My, my mother-in-law has not gotten a raise in 11 years. So her and all of her um, friends went on strike. And so they gave in. Okay, we're going to give you a raise. We're going to give you a dollar raise over the next five years. They're going to break it up. The $1 is not coming all at once. We're going to break it up. Now, that's just not right. Are you with me? That's just not right. So when we need a miracle, a miracle looks very different for everybody. Are you with me? It looks different for everybody. But oftentimes we back up and we're going, our, our expression, our body language is, is more like, And when somebody asks, hey, do you want to go to church tonight? Hey, do you want to go to church in the morning? It's like, I will to appease you, but I'm not really interested in going because I've been watching how God works and how the church works for a long time, and I'm not incredibly impressed. You never will be impressed as a spectator. You'll only be impressed as a participator when you're pursuing. Absolutely, put your hands together for that. You're pursuing, you're moving, you're pursuing, you're moving. When you seek miracles, you'll rarely find them. 
When you seek God, you'll end up picking up miracles along the way. It's just it is what it is. And you ask me, what about you? Have you ever seen any miracles? Yeah, I just saw a burst of light right over there. (laughs) Holy cow. Did you guys see that? Jeez Louise. I want to just chalk it up as lightning, but man, what was that? Did I lose my mind for a quick second? Raise your hand if you saw that. Did Jeez. Maybe that's just a sign that I'm preaching good. Well. My goodness, that was awesome. So here we go. When we're pursuing God, that's when we can expect it. And you say, have you ever experienced a miracle? I just want to tell you, I experience miracles moving and happening in my life so often that I don't really look at them like miracles. I just look at them as expected events. I've gotten to the place where I just expect things to happen right. I expect when I pray for somebody that they're going to get well. I expect when I pray for a family, they're going to come back in a couple weeks and they're going to go, man, the knucklehead actually wised up. I, I, I expect that. I expect it. I'm actually shocked when a marriage actually gets a divorce after they've been coming to church here and they've been going to counseling. I'm shocked. Because I just assume God's love is just going to come in and direct and that's going to be a miracle. I just expect when people say, hey God, I'm going to do all that I can, but I'm going to seek you and I want you to open up a door of opportunity for me. I just expect it. I see it happening. I was actually telling my, my father the other day, I said, you know what? When it comes to our church, I just think as if uh, money is not an issue. Money will never be an issue for our church. It's just never going to be an issue. Our church is always going to have enough money. That's just how I think. Now, in order for that to happen, the people in our church have always got to have money. Because the church doesn't have money if you guys don't have any money. Does that make sense? That's because just in case you're having trouble catching up to that point, whenever we take up an offering, that's how the church gets money. All right. And so if you don't have money, if you don't have a job, if you're not prosperous, the bucket is just going to, you don't have anything to give. So I pray for you all the time. Lord, cause raises to raises like crazy. Why? My vision, I believe that God has just, we, he has called us to be a source of strength. And our church can't be a source of strength if we don't have any strength. Are you with me? Are you guys good? All right, good. So here we go. So they're pursuing God, and here comes this miracle and this opportunity. And this guy says, Peter, James, uh, John, Peter, who are we talking about? Was it James and Peter? Sorry. Who are these guys? Peter and John. Peter and John. He says, Peter and John. And he says, give me some money. Now, I've been to the gate beautiful. It's pretty impressive. I've been there. And there was a lame man there when I went there. wasn't the same guy. There was a lame guy there. And, and I, I looked at him and I was about to shout out real loud, stand up and walk. But 
I, I had a conference with God and I wasn't feeling it. So I just went on in and, uh, I, you know, hopefully, you know, I don't know, I was total a rabbit trail. But anyway, um, uh, I did pray for him as I was walking in, though, and I did give him some money. Uh, but, but Peter and, and, and John, they, they just felt at that moment. And, and Pastor John Osteen, Joel Osteen's father, uh, preached a sermon about how miracles actually flow through people. And he says that whenever you have have a strong, compelling compassion. Compassion is actually a form of an acronym. It's not an, a, a true acronym, but come pass it on. Compassion. And so when you feel that, that's God's love in you to pass it on. And oftentimes when people that have that gift, the first thing they'll feel is compassion towards somebody. Now, compassion and feeling sorry or having empathy or sympathy for someone is two completely different things. Now, I'm going to preach a different message, so I'm not going to chase that rabbit. But all of a sudden, in contrast, I didn't have that spiritual moment of compassion. Otherwise, I would have prayed for him. Um, but Peter and John had that compassionate moment, and they heard, will you give me money, you know, alms, alms, alms. And, and Peter looked at him, and I love how this moment happens. He looked at him, and he says, look at me. And even in the scriptures, it has an exclamatory mark. Look at me. Now, when I read that, I just put my pen down, and, and I just scooted my chair back, and I just began to think about this scene. Under what conditions do you look at a person and say, look at me, look at me. Under what conditions do you do that? You only do that when you're getting ready to take care of some business. That's the only time that's appropriate. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And in, in, in parallel... It's, are you ready to take care of some business? This is way bigger than a couple quarters in your cup. Are you ready to take care of business? And there's a lot of times where people get so comfortable in dysfunction that they've learned to be comfortable in it. This is just my lot in life. This is just my lot in life. It's never going to change. It's like, hey, 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 look at me. Are you ready to change? Change requires, it could require anything. See, the interesting thing about God is that um, your relationship with God requires us to change everything. Do you know why he was sitting at Gate Beautiful? Because he has a perception of people who worship in that temple. There's a perception that he had. If I sit here, I'm going to sit around generous people. That's his perception. People who worship are generous. People who worship are kind. People who worship will notice my need. In contrast, if I go sit over there, they may not be kind, but I know that these people are kind. Why? Because they're worshipers. And it's a scary thing whenever Christians, Christ followers, try to blend in with the rest of the world when the world is wanting us to be different. There's a perception. 
There's a perception that you are different. And then when we decide, no, I'm going to dress like you, talk like you, and act like you, it's confusing to them. Because they want us to be different. They don't want us to blend in. We sometimes want to blend in so that we don't stick out. But God actually wants us to stick out. He says, I'm going to make you like a city on a hill. I'm going to make you stick out. And so he looks at him and he says, he goes, look at me, look at me. Are you ready to, are, are you ready to do business? Are you ready to go from a spectator of watching people worship to actually engage in this thing called Christianity? Well, I'm at the temple, aren't I? No, 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 no. People that come to church, that means nothing. It means nothing. Just because you come to church, that doesn't mean that you're passionate about Jesus. That doesn't mean that you're following Jesus. That doesn't mean that Jesus is number one in your life. It, doesn't, it could just mean somebody dragged you here. And you don't feel like arguing at home, so you came. That's what it could mean. See, the, the man at the gate, are you ready to be a part of this culture? Look at me. Look at me in the eye. Have you ever had someone say, look at me in the eyes? In other words, I want to find out if you're full of baloney or not. Look at me. Are you ready to be a part of this? Are you ready to be a part of this? It says, in the name of Jesus. We're talking about Jesus right now. We're not talking about the temple. We're not talking about church. We're talking about Jesus. Stand up and walk. And so he stands up and begins to walk. And watch what happens here. He begins to jump up and down. He begins to shout. He begins to worship. And everybody starts looking around. Now let's begin to start pointing out the three points that I talked about earlier. Here's the three points, the three takeaways. Number one, there is no substitutions. There's no substitutions for prayer. There is nothing that we can do that can substitute prayer. You can give a million dollars to the poor and that's still not a substitution for prayer. There is nothing that can substitute it. Nothing. And so if you and I want to get the most out of our life, if we want to get the most out of our relationship with God, if you actually want to experience a sense of peace, we got to build our life around prayer instead of trying to stick prayer inside of our schedule and go, oh, we ran out of time. I got kind of tough. I have never met someone who prioritizes prayer be disappointed in church and God. Never met it. The only people that I find that are disappointed in church and God are people that don't prioritize church and God. It's the only time. But when we build it around it, man, phenomenal things happen. Just as like an ABC underneath prioritizing prayer, the, the, one of the first things that happen is mysteries begin to be unveiled to us. And what do I mean by mysteries? Mysteries is, I, I mean this, isn't this whole God thing perplexing? Isn't it perplexing? 
Like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why, how does this whole thing work? How much does he get involved and how much is our own will on the line? How much does he actually want to do? How open can my ears be to his voice? The miracles, people seeing and how does all this work? Isn't it a little perplexing, a a little bit confusing? It is to me. I'm the senior pastor. I back up all the time and tell people, look, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can make something up and put some uh, Christianese words in there to make you think I know what I'm talking about. Or I can just be honest. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know. The Bible calls it mysteries. It's, it's mysteries. And when we pray, our mind, the Bible says this in Luke. Uh, it says that, I, I forgot the address, uh, but it's in the book of Luke. And the Bible says that he opens their mind so that they can understand the scriptures. When I was preparing this message, I opened up the Bible and I said, God, help me to understand what I am about to read. Because if he doesn't open my mind, it reads like this. This is what the Lord of I don't know what I just read. Let me read that over again. Let me read that over again. I missed it again. I really don't even know what we're talking about right now. Anyway, uh, hold on. Hey, let me find something more exciting to do. That's what happens, but all of a sudden, if he opens our mind, it's like, oh, I never saw that. That's awesome. Oh, my goodness. So the mysterious, not just in the Bible, but in life. The mysterious. Here's B underneath that point of there's no substitution with prayer, is that there's a level of intimacy. Now, being close to God, what does that mean? What does that look like? The only thing that I can say is that it's phenomenal. And the more we experience of it, the more we'll want of it. I don't know how phenomenal it can be. I know how phenomenal my relationship with him is now. But that's just like you bringing me a glass of ocean water from Hawaii and going, oh, Hawaii is awesome. (laughs) I mean, the amount of relationship that I have is like me looking through a keyhole at space and going, wow! Having no idea how amazing the galaxy really is. But as much as I can see, it makes me want to see and experience a lot more. Here's something we always need to remember about prayer. 
The more you pray, the more you'll want to pray. And the less you pray, the less you'll want to pray. So it's mysteries. It's intimacy. Here's another uh, sub point. See, there's peace. I, I don't know about you, but if I'm not praying, the number one thing that will come into my life and dominate my world is anxiety. It's just me. And I would love to tell you that I am so dialed in with God that anxiety can't touch me. Can't touch this. Dun, 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 can't touch. No. No. I am not that dialed in. When I am dialed in and I am praying, anxiety cannot touch this. But I, I, when I am inconsistent, which is more often than what I want to admit, I am like Velcro with anxiety. If it's in the air, stick, stack, stook, stock, boom. Anxiety, staring at the fan. I'll worry about your worries. <laughs> I'll find things to be anxious about. And it'll dawn on me. Have I prayed lately? No, I haven't prayed because I'm worried. I'm concerned. I'm anxious. Last night was one of those nights. I got into bed. Allie said, how was your day? I said, I don't want to talk about it. And she said, did something bad happen? I said, no, nothing bad happened, but I don't want to talk about it. And of course, I don't want to talk about it to a woman means keep asking me questions. Did you have a bad meeting? No, all my meetings were good. Did, did, did you get a bad email? No, but I don't want to talk about it. So what happened? I don't... I, <laughs> I know that's just me. I'm just... It, it, anxiety got me. It was just like had me, man. Just had me by the shirt. I woke up this morning. My eyes weren't even open yet. And all of a sudden, all the anxious thoughts started coming to my mind. And I thought this thought. I'm about to go for a run. And by the time I get off this run, I will have prayed so much. I'm not going to be anxious about anything. That's the only way to get that stuff off. I have spent hundreds of dollars on a massage and it does not work. I've been on vacations to get rid of anxiety. It does not work. I'm anxious on the vacation. The first three days of vacation is just me being unanxious. And then I get to enjoy two days of my vacation. Before you know it, I'm already back. Is there anyone with me? Am I by myself on this? The only thing that works is to pray it out. And how do you pray it out? You put the word thank you before every sentence you pray. You know, uh, is Minor here? Minor Bloodsworth? Is he here? Oh man, the one time I'm going to use his stuff, he's not here. He always shares a nugget with me after service that would have been perfect for the sermon that I just preached. And I'm finally going to use this stuff and he's not here. So he comes up to me and he says, hey, there was some Indian rain dancers. And they would dance and they would dance and rain would come down. And so people called him up, brought him and said, hey, how is it that every time you guys do the rain dance, it starts raining? How does that happen? 
And the Indian said, it's real simple. We just don't stop dancing until it starts raining. It's real simple. And it just dawns on me, how in the world do you get rid of anxiety just by praying? It's real simple. I just don't stop praying until it goes away. You say thank you for enough things. You just realize that the Bible says this in Psalms 56, 9. Every time you pray, the tide of the battle turns. So you just keep on praying until the peace of mind comes in. Not that the problem goes away, because technically I don't really care how the problem goes away. The God can blow it away, kick it away, thump it away, slap it away. I don't care how he makes it go away. I just want it to go away. And when I feel like, okay, it is off my shoulders and it's now on his, now I can move on with my life. And I'm so happy that it went away by the time I got done running because I was out of breath and I couldn't run much longer. All right, so number one is there's no substitutes. There's no substitutes. Number two, there are no limits. It's a very important thought. There are no limits on what can happen when you pray. Here we got this. When when we're in pursuit, we'll constantly find ourselves in in, um, appointments. Peter and John did not know they were going to have an appointment with this guy. They did not know it. But you just stay in pursuit, stay in pursuit. You'll go into conversations and walk out of conversations and go, that was a God conversation. You just, you just stay in it. But when we're praying, we have to get, there are no limits. Think about the hardest hearted person you know. They are no match for your prayers. The hardest hearted person you know, they are no match for your prayers. This is so important. God will either change them or he'll change you. When you pray for a person who's a dingbat, it's in the Frankie International Version. It's not in the King James. When you pray for a person, God will either change the dingbat or he'll change you. Usually, when I'm praying for a dingbat in my life, I'm the one who ends up getting changed. Which is annoying. Because all of a sudden I I start looking at them in a different way. And sometimes I start feeling sorry for them. And I start feeling compassionate for them. And and, uh, compassion towards this person. And it's like I I enjoyed not liking them. That was a little more transparent than what I wanted. (laughs) Have you ever enjoyed not liking someone? Let me tell you, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I'm a Boston Celtics fan. I love the Boston Celtics. You cannot like the Boston Celtics and like the Los Angeles Lakers. It's impossible. It's like liking the Yankees and the Red Sox. You just can't do it. You can't do it. It's like you either cheer for the Cowboys or you cheer for the Indians. It's just one or the other. You can't go, go Indians, go Cowboys. Shoot them, Cowboys. Shoot them, Indians. It's either one or the other. Redskins or Cowboys, one or the other. You like the Redskins, you like the Cowboys. It's one or the other. And so for me, I, I've never liked the Lakers. And there's this, he, he's not on the team anymore, uh, but for years and years, this one particular Laker, I would 
rip on, on a daily basis. Rip on them. One time I got so ugly on me ripping on this guy that I actually felt God get upset with me because it was getting to that level. So a guy gave me seats to the Rockets game to go see the Rockets and the Lakers. And so I go, I have these tickets, they're on the floor. You know I had to give me that because those things are expensive. It was a gift. He gave it to me. So I'm standing on the floor watching them warm up. And so I'm getting to watch the players talk to them. I'm closer to them than I am most of you. I mean, I'm like 10 or 15 feet away from them. And wouldn't you know that the coolest guy on the team is the guy that I've been ripping for the last seven years. He was laughing, he was giving him a high five, he was fist bumping, he was walking up to the fans saying hello. Just a cool guy. And I'm sitting here going, I've been hating you for the last seven years. I've been calling you a jerk for the last seven years. And now that I'm actually looking at, geez, I'm the jerk. This isn't cool. I mean, that is just kind of a a light example of what happens when you pray for people. Either they change and they show up and they've got a real tender heart, or all of a sudden your heart gets tenderized and God says, look, don't worry about them, let's just deal with you. I don't really like his methodology, but (laughs) let's just deal with you. There's no limits. Let me say this about no limits as well. Oftentimes we can kind of get depressed because this is so important. We can get down because we don't see certain doors of opportunity opening up. Certain relationships just aren't clicking. Are you guys listening? This is so good. I'm about to dismiss you here in a minute. So hear this point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it's a well-known scripture, but let it resonate a little bit. It says this, that your mind, my mind, as a matter of fact, no mind, no brain, no ear, not even your wildest imagination can determine what God has planned for you. And so when we're getting upset and depressed and down, it's because our C-level, D-level plans aren't working out. And God's looking at you and going, you're upset because your sandbox seems to be falling apart when I'm trying to get you to the beach. Are you with me? That's what that scripture means. 2 Corinthians 2. Your mind, you've never heard anything like this. You've never thought of anything like this. You can't imagine anything like this. It's way better than all of that. So stop being depressed that your sandbox fell apart. Can you recall in high school, all the teenagers should be in youth service right now. So can you recall in high school having a crush on someone, wanting to marry them? And when you look back and you're like, thank God. (laughs) Are you with me? It's like we get so depressed. I remember not getting out of bed for for days. Totally heartbroken. Ah! And then my dad would knock on the door. I'm like, yeah. 
trying to cover it up in front of my dad. Now I look back and I go, what a moron. What were you being a big baby for just because she broke up with you? You got to be kidding me. And really, the only thing I was upset about was I didn't break up with her first. (laughs) My ego's on the line here. I thought I was going to marry her. Thank God. She's like a dingbat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank God. It's almost like an angel could have opened up the door of my room and said, Frankie, your mind, your ears, even your wildest imagination... You can't even imagine what God has in store for you. For those who love him, love is an action word. For those who are pursuing him, for those who are on their way to the temple, they have prioritized a three o'clock appointment. They've built their life around their relationship with God. You have no idea. You with me? So number one, There's no substitutes. Number two, there's no limits. And my last and final point, there are no prayers that come without distractions. Where did this point come from? It came from when Peter and John were talking about this guy or talking to the guy. The, The lame man said, can I have some money? Now, if Peter and John would have been feeble-minded, they would have gotten into a counseling session about money and finances. Now, money and finances is a very, very, very touchy thing. Let me tell you why it's touchy. I'm going to read three scriptures to you. The first one, all of you are going to be like, "Ah, yes, finally. Watch this. Ecclesiastes, come on up. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 19. It says this, a feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry. And money is the answer for everything. That's in the Bible. That is not the Frankie International version. That is in your Bible that you're holding or the one that's at home That's in the Bible. It says money is the answer for everything. So the reason why you get down and depressed because you you have money problems, it's valid. It is valid because it is the answer for everything. See, everything is all the stuff you can't take to heaven. So legitimately, you do need a car and a house and food and bread and, and clothes, bless God, and <laughs> shoes. Some of your toes need shoes. <laughs> Cover those things up. Cover those dogs up. Arrgh! Cover them up. It's things, all the things that you need here that you can't take to heaven. Are you having fun tonight? Absolutely. Money 
fixes all those things. And so you get stressed out because you don't have the money to pay the bills. That's a valid stress. It's valid. But watch this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Yes, it can take care of the things on this earth, but when you get so consumed about the things on this earth, see, there's a, there's a law, a law of first things. There's a law. Whatever's first in your life guides your life. And when you're first, when God is first, when pursuing him is first, when setting that appointment is first, when going to the temple is first, when worshiping him is first, and all of a sudden you see somebody that says alms, 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 and you go, look, that can't be first. Because if it's still first, you're going to be there for the rest of your life. Man, that was a word from God for somebody in this room right there. If you keep money, your primary focus, your primary concern, your primary worry, you're going to be right where you are for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. Never having enough. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Are you ready to do business? Look at me. It's not about money. Let me read this verse to you, this third and final verse. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Paul says, get up. Paul, no prayer comes without distraction. So here, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter and John are going to the temple and they're distracted by this guy who's talking about money. And you're not going to distract me. Look at me, look at me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you refocused. You're not gonna distract me. I'm gonna I'm gonna help you stop being distracted. Look at me. And so then he he everybody he's distracted and he's trying to get the disciples to be distracted. No, 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 no. And so he pulls him up. So he starts worshiping, he starts dancing. You'll never ever ever pray without distraction. So everyone that comes up, you just, you know, I don't pray without a pad and paper in my pocket for two reasons. Number one, the craziest distractions come to my mind. I forgot to pick up milk. So I just write it down, pick up milk, and I'm right back. Call so-and-so back. Call so-and-so, put it back in my pocket, get back to praying. And then if I feel like God put something on my heart, I pull out my pad of paper again distraction. Why? Because hell knows if you're in pursuit, anything can happen. 